I would first invite you all to uh, pick a window and look out that window at the trees, at the sky. Now, eyes back on me now. That's the last time you can wander looking outside. Seriously, what does the Bible have to say about God's amazing creation that lies just outside these walls and these windows? Let's first consider the passage we'll hear from the book of Genesis. A few weeks ago, Kate and I had our ninth grade confirmation session on the Bible. We cover God in, a week, in an hour, we cover Jesus in an hour, we cover the Bible in an hour. And so for many years now, Kate and I have begun this lesson on the Bible with our ninth graders by having them take the Bible, go to the first book, Genesis, and read just the first chapter to themselves, the first chapter of the book of Genesis. And we ask them to count as they read that one chapter, how many times they find the word good. Seven times in that one chapter, what God has created is described as good, very good. Now, the writers and editors of Genesis and the Bible weren't too subtle, were they? Their message was clear. They were trying to get across to the reader, to us, that creation is good. Our second scripture is from the book of Job. Now we all know about this character, Job. His name, of course, is synonymous with when life takes on some troubling times. One has more troubles than Job. And likewise, in this passage, the message is also very clear. Each and every day that we take even a moment to listen and appreciate the natural world around us, creation teaches us. The birds and the trees and the fish teach us that God is good, that God is very good. The third and final scripture is from the Gospel of Thomas. Gospel of Thomas? What's that? Well, the Gospel of Thomas is a, a non-canonical, in other words, it didn't make the final editing and get into the Bible, but it has in it over a hundred sayings attributed to Jesus, and over half of them have parallels within our Gospels in the New Testament. So there's a lot of truth in these, uh, in these sayings from the Gospel of Thomas. And the one that we have today is about how we are called to see, again, nature all around us, and that we are not alone. According to the saying that you will hear from the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus is with us if we're even outside splitting wood or lifting a stone to see what lies beneath. Jesus is present in all of creation and so we are never, ever alone in this world. <clears throat> in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, 
God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was this morning, the first day. But ask the animals, and they will teach you. Or the birds of the sky, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these things does not know that the hand of God has done this? In God's hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all humankind. Jesus said, I am the light that is over all things. I am all. From me came forth, and to me shall attain. Split a piece of wood, and I am there. Lift up a stone, and you'll find me there. May God May God help, uh, bless our understanding of this reading. Until I was six years old, I lived in nearby Berlin, Connecticut, which at that time, okay, to give it away, in 1958 was a small town of 10,000. But then, when I was six, we moved to the second largest city in New England it was then, it remains the second largest city in New England now, and that would be Worcester, Massachusetts. Unknown fact by some, some people. So, uh, first six years of life, my life in Berlin, Connecticut, and that little country town where my house was, we had fields and forests to play around in. My next door neighbor, uh, Stevie Baker, he was born, I think, three days before me, and we just hung out hours and hours outside in those fields and in those forests. Made forts. I think we even made tunnels. I don't know how big they were. They seemed big. We'd make tunnels. We even put little indentations for candles. Uh, it was pretty cool, probably a little dangerous, but that's what we did. The whole outdoors was our playground. So what happens when you take this little country boy and move him to a city like Worcester? Well, as uh, Google Maps are wonderful, so we're going to show you, it's on your, you can either look on the screen or you can look in the middle of your bulletin. My parents found a house uh, within the city limits of Worcester, and uh, it, it's pointed out by, by uh, a red arrow, that's Indian Lake, Indian Lake in the north section of Worcester, and that red arrow points to where our house was. If you look real closely, you can see there's this patch of green there. Our house was on the street, but then it had a series of hills. I think I've talked about it before. My sister Dorothy and I would go out our back door and there'd literally be a hill, another hill. We could slide all the way down a series of hills and out onto Indian Lake if the ice was safe. And we would spend hours, Dorothy and I would spend hours and hours sledding down onto Indian Lake. But it's also, uh, in that section of Worcester, if you follow the green arrow, the green arrow, that whole patch is two large manufacturing companies, Heald Abrasives, and, no, Norton Abrasives and Heald Manufacturing Company. Those are there on the right, and that road that goes up along the lake there, that's Route 190, so if you're going up into Worcester, 290, but then you can shoot off on 190 and go to Fitchburg and Lemonster, you can actually look across the lake and see the White House where I spent uh, most of my childhood after leaving uh, Berlin. Now, 
What did uh, mom do to Dorothy and David when they wanted to go out and play? Uh, after school, we would get on our backpacks and we would head out because we had to find nature somewhere. So we'd go down Holden Street where there was a little market, North Worcester Geiger's Market, and what would we buy? We'd put in our backpacks with those packages of powdered donuts. A great treat, great treat. And then, uh, to go back to the map, if you follow where the red uh, arrow is, we would find our way up to where the blue arrow is. And if you look, the big patch of woods there wasn't a park or anything, it was just woods. So maybe it was a different era. We would be allowed to go with our backpacks, go to the, the little store, and go up into the woods. And there was a great stream that came out of Indian Lake, and we would uh, play in the stream in that woods. We'd explore those woods. That became our playground. What God had created became our playground. Listen again to the wise words we have from Scripture. Ask the animals, and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Lift up the stone, and you will find me there. Lift up the stone, and you will find me there. I don't know if you noticed, but a few weeks ago, I think it was in January sometime, a national study came out that made the headlines and it asserted that our nation is now undergoing an epidemic of loneliness. It cited a survey from last summer which indicated a 13% rise in loneliness with three out of five Americans across an age spectrum reporting times of feeling left out, lonely, in need of companionship. And that study led to countless stories, follow-up stories, with headlines such as The Loneliness of Early Parenthood, Why Are We So Lonely, Loneliness in Young Adults, a Growing Mental Health Issue, Efforts to Fight Loneliness Often Focus on the Elderly. And there were many, many more headlines. In other words, at any age, a deep loneliness can rise up in any one of us. And so it got me to thinking, how can our faith help us to combat this so-called epidemic of loneliness? Speak to the earth and it will teach you. Lift up the stone and you will find me there. I believe our faith and the church have much to offer us as we fight the loneliness that each of us will inevitably, periodically, or perhaps even regularly feel in our lives. And so today we are here to affirm that our faith teaches us that we never need to feel alone if we are in God's creation. We never need to feel alone because we are surrounded by creation's wonder and its beauty and it actually can touch that lonely place in us. I think no one captures the ability of God's creation to touch that lonely place in us better than poet Mary Oliver. 
She died a year ago in January, as you know. In 2011, in an interview with Maria Shriver, Mary Oliver described her family growing up as dysfunctional, her childhood was very hard, and that she had been sexually abused as a child. And then in an interview with public radio host Krista Tippett, Oliver reveals the power of creation to take on life's hardest challenges. Ms. Tippett said, you talk about growing up in a sad, depressed place, a difficult place. Yes, replied Oliver. You spent a lot of your time walking around the woods? Yes. In Ohio? Yes. It was a very bad childhood for everybody, every member of my household, not just myself. And I escaped it, but barely. Yes, those walks in the woods, Oliver said, I think they saved my life. To this day, I don't care much for the enclosure of buildings. Oliver then concluded by reading from one of her amazing poems. Wherever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. God's amazing creation saved Mary Oliver's life. And there is always a place for each one of us in that family of God's creation. Even before the recent reports on this epidemic of loneliness, there has been speculation that our growing separation from nature has left humankind in a state of isolation and disconnection and is now being labeled as species loneliness. Species loneliness. A deep, unnamed sadness stemming from our estrangement from the rest of creation and from the loss of our relationship to other species. More and more there is something missing in our lives. In a recent issue of the journal The Christian Century, Tricia Gates Brown has this to say about her childhood. Until the age of 10, I lived like many American kids of the 70s in a primly geometric neighborhood cross-hatched with pavement, with matchbook yards and immature plantings. More than any tree, the television towered over my childhood. Then she continued, sweltering hot summer afternoons were often spent indoors watching game shows and reruns of shows like The Brady Bunch, Leave It to Beaver, and Happy Days. Though I love these shows and the family I watched them with, and though our yard did have an above-ground pool and a treehouse and an old oak tree, for me, something was missing. It itched and ached like an amputated limb. It was nature. Speak to the earth and it will teach you. Lift up the stone and you will find me there. 
It has been over 22 years since the brutally beaten, tortured, and murdered body of Matthew Shepard was found on a rural road outside of Laramie, Wyoming. Shepard, a gay University of Wyoming student, was lashed to a wooden fence, left for dead for 18 hours, remained in a coma, and died five days later in a hospital. Around the 20th anniversary of his death, I use his father's words in a sermon when talking about the need to end our nation's culture of hatred, bigotry, prejudice, and intolerance. Well, this morning I return to Dennis Shepard's words to affirm our faith and conviction that we are never, ever alone if we feel God's presence in our lives through the awesome and amazing gift of nature. <laughs> Speaking to the court as he requested life imprisonment instead of the death penalty for his son's killers, Dennis Shepard said the following, My son Matthew did not look like a winner. He was rather uncoordinated and wore braces from the age of 13 until the day he died. However, in his all-too-brief life, he proved he was a winner. He was my hero. I keep wondering the same thing that I did when I first saw him in the hospital. What would he have become? How could he have changed his piece of the world to make it a little better? You, Mr. McKinney, and with your friend, Mr. Henderson, left him out there by himself. But he wasn't alone. There were his lifelong friends <clears throat> with him, friends, <clears throat> excuse me, he had grown up with. You probably are wondering who these friends were. First, he had the beautiful night sky and the same stars and moons that we used to see through a telescope. Then he had the daylight and the sun to shine on him. And through it all, he was breathing the scent of pine trees from the snowy range. He heard the wind, the ever-present Wyoming wind, for the last time. He had one more friend with him. He had God, and I feel better knowing he was not alone. Friends, we too have friends all around us, under every stone, in the sunlight, in the starlight, in the moonlight, in every babbling brook, and in the wind, and in scented flowers, and in trees. In this awesome and amazing created world, we too will discover the greatest friend we could ever have, and that friend is God. And through good times and bad times, God will never ever leave us alone.
about to share something that I don't think I've shared in 18 years of being here, something I guess fairly personal. You know when things happen, uh, coincidentally everything <coughs> happens uh, for a reason and that the universe converges to make it happen? I'm not really big on that. That may have changed this past Tuesday. I forgot my lunch. Uh, we have Tuesday morning staff meetings, I forgot my lunch, which I don't do too often. I did it twice this week, so uh, <laughs> I think Tuesday was the first time. And so I told the staff that I was going to go home, eat my lunch at home, and begin to work on today's service and sermon, hopefully find some inspiration. So I went home, went to the kitchen sink, and it's out the kitchen sink window that, we, that I have, I, it's my thing, bird feeders. Uh, the suet, the uh, thistle feed, the wild bird seed, the sunflower seed. I saw more birds in the pouring rain, <laughs> pouring rain on Tuesday, in one place with more variety than I think I've ever seen in my entire life. It was just amazing. Nuthatches, chickadees, titmice, woodpeckers, hairy and downy. It was just incredible. And then, that was the flicker on the bird seed, and then there are the two female bluebirds on the railing and then there are the two male bluebirds one fluttering off to the left and the other one sort of in the center i have two pairs of bluebirds i don't get bluebirds a lot some of you get them all the time uh, it's always a big deal whether you get them all the time or not but i had two pairs actually friday i had three pairs of bluebirds <coughs> Friends, whether it is bluebirds or blue irises or weed in a vacant parking lot or trees or babbling brook, if we pay attention, we will never ever be alone in this world again. Amen.